Hi, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm excited to welcome back to the show my friend and our expert pediatrician, Nicole Craven, who practices as an integrative pediatrician at Robin Hood Integrative Health with Dr. Wiggy, and we're so excited to have you back. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And today I'm having Nicole back because um, we get a lot of questions, both from listeners and uh, just various parents and and so forth. And one question um, or one topic, I should say, that comes up all the time because it's so prevalent in our society now is ADHD. And I couldn't think of anyone better to bring on than Nicole, because she looks at ADHD from an integrative perspective. And I'm excited to touch on this topic today. We're not going to be able because of time to go into tons of detail with all of this. But if you are interested in learning more from Dr. Nicole, then I encourage you to become a patient with her, just like all of my kids have. So um, let's just dig in if that's okay. Yeah, sure. I love this topic, by the way, but you're right. It's very complex. Uh And so I'm hoping we can get through to some just little tips at the end so people can take home tips that'll help them. But yeah, yes, we'll try to um, hit all the elements if possible. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So when I was a kid, um, I'm going to turn 40 here in a couple weeks. When I was a kid, there were hyper kids in my class and maybe some that had trouble focusing, but I don't remember anyone getting diagnosed with ADHD until way later. So tell us what is ADHD and what are some of the known causes? I know this is like a huge elephant essentially, but let's just touch on the big picture. Yeah. Cause is a difficult word to use because I'm not sure that that's really looked at much in conventional medicine other than it's considered uh, genetic and can be environmental in terms of environmental contributions. But for us, I would say it is a multifactorial, of course, partly genetic, environmental, meaning what is the living arrangement? What are the kids' relationship dynamics? What stressors are they under? What toxic exposures do they have? So environmental is kind of a bigger picture. And then always the microbiome, which is all of the wonderful living organisms inside us, is often off balance. So that can be one of the, quote, causes. And then the physical state of the body, you look for inflammation in the actual physical body that contributes to inflammation in the brain. Okay, awesome. So if if a parent comes to you as a physician and maybe suspects that their child might be struggling with ADHD, how do you generally go about diagnosing it? And then what are some things that you kind of always do, I realize every child is different. And of course, that's what makes us complex. But what are some things that you often offer as far as stepping stones to help that child to thrive? So in the pediatric office, they they have a form, it's called the Vanderbilt, there's actually two forms, but the I'd say the more common one or the one I used to use when I was just doing primary care was the Vanderbilt. And it's this, it's about a two page questionnaire so to speak it's very simple and the pediatrician fills it out and then the teacher fills it out and if it's positive on both sides then that's how you get the diagnosis 
unfortunately it, it's really not extensive so i found in my experience that there were a lot of positive diagnoses just using that form um, mm -hmm. So you can go to a developmental psychologist and get, and I always recommend that, especially if there's comorbid disease. And what that means is there's something else going on, not just um, ADHD concerns. And that is like a full day or half day of testing on mm -hmm. all different levels. So those are options. But what we do is that we is very different, I would say, because we look for particular criteria. And there are five basic ones that are the most common. So it's usually attention, of course, that's in the name. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. not just to, um, you know, I always get the question, well, you know, my kid can focus on this, but can't focus on this. It's really attention to the short everyday tasks, because those are the ones that we need to do to be responsible, right? But they're not necessarily easy for these children to do. And then the other is, well, the second is distractibility, of course. <laughs> distracted right. by everything and that's because they see too much the sensors are senses are usually heightened sometimes there's one sense that's very lowered but usually they're heightened and they see too much and hear too much and sense too much and taste too much so you get you know texture aversions and food aversions and they don't want seams against them or lace lace is too tight so anything that's distractible in terms of the physical sense, but also in terms of, oh, I hear something way over there that nobody else hears when you're focusing on the task in front of you, right? Gotcha. And then organization for space and time. So in their spaces, rooms can be a mess, desks, bags are not organized like the school bag, and time is usually late. <laughs> They don't want it. They don't want to be late, but it just takes their brain a certain amount of stress to be able to use the frontal lobe where they're lacking activity, um, a certain amount of stress and pressure in order for them to kick in to do what they need to do. Right. Gotcha. Um, and impulsivity. That, okay. the last oh, right, right, right. I'm sorry. That impulsivity. Oh, I just had to add impulsivity as sure. acting before thinking, of course. So we look at all those. And, and I'm guessing, so for example, um, you know, I have four boys, everything that you just said, each one of those things I could assign to one of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're looking at these things generally, not necessarily every single one, but that these things are generally most prevalent with the child and that they're experiencing multiple facets of, of the, um, challenges that you've just suggested of the five criteria right yeah not right a little bit of one the other thing that's important that it's in more than one environment so it's not just at home but it happens at school or it happens in other terms of um kids getting together play it's in every environment usually mm -hmm. and it's yeah. persistent you know persistent in a daily thing mm -hmm. right all right. So let's pretend that, you know, a child comes and they're presenting with most of these and you feel like they probably, and I know in integrative medicine too, our goal is not always to make sure we have a diagnosis, but to find the root cause and to help treat that. So um, obviously there are lots of factors that contribute to these challenges, but once we feel like this is what we're dealing with, what are some of the first steps that you take with children to begin helping to address their child, the, the ADHD? 
to look at the environmental root causes and then um, the microbiome, like the gut, is the gut off? Is the gut allowing in things, inflammation into the body that's contributing to this? Um, and then we always balance the gut bacteria by helping the good bugs and killing off the bad ones. And right. environmental, especially if the gut is off, you know, there are toxins everywhere in our environment that, and, and that's just synthetic things really is what I mean by toxins. It's mm -hmm. preservatives and pesticides and endocrine disrupting chemicals that are like plastics and flame retardants and metals. Metals are, are becoming more prevalent in our environment. And mm -hmm. so we look, we look for signs of those and we do safe and gentle detox measures if we find those and then treat the neuroinflammation that we talked about before. Sometimes there's a vascular and systemic inflammation that can come from um, autoimmune instigations or infectious agents that is contributing to it. And so we do an anti-inflammatory protocol. And if the brain's neurotransmitters are off balance, then we can, I love this test, we can test that neurotransmitter status. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that, Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome because it, we don't, I would say most like stage one of most mood enhancing drugs are um, serotonin based, but mm -hmm. I find that, you know, we really need to support GABA and dopamine, if not more than serotonin. I mean, serotonin is super important, but I always see deficiencies in the other neurotransmitters as well so you that mm -hmm. you don't want to just support one so that's why i think i adore that I, test i have a question and i've just thought of this um do you find that children with mthfr mutations are at a higher risk for adhd yes it's actually one of the things that is on the list when it comes gotcha. to mthfr um and mental illness. And it does depend on how many copies of MTHFR and which ones that you have and then right. what environment you're in because what MTHFR, like especially if you have a double copy does is it decreases your ability to detox from your environment. Mm -hmm. so it can contribute to inflammatory illnesses and ADHD is one of those. Right, right, right. Okay, so this is something that I think is incredibly important. Um, I, what are some of the key things that, well, first of all, I would argue that most kids need, all kids need to stay away from artificial colors and high levels of sugar or things that break down to sugar. And we live in a society that, you know, favorite thing to do is feed kids junk food, especially we're recording this at the end of the school year. And it seems like that's all that we do is feed <laughs> red dye and sugar. And yeah. so it drives me crazy, um, but I won't get on that soapbox right now. But I, those are things that I think just as parents, we need to make strides, not only in our homes, which of course we do control those, but even in our environments, like I've had conversations with teachers and there's certain things that, you know, I'm like, no, my child will go crazy if they eat that. So we're not doing that. We can have this instead. Like for red day, we can eat strawberries, you know? <laughs> so um, yes. anyway, but aside from those two, what are some other things that you generally say, you know what, if your child is struggling with even these symptoms, like please stop feeding them these things. 
Well, food is medicine. We always say that, of course. So the first stage is actually to avoid anything synthetic. So pesticides, I always say, I know it's expensive to do organic, so at least non-GMO. And mm-hmm. avoid the, the pesticides and then the preservatives and everything, which is in most things that are packaged or right. in um, anything that's maybe um, feeding large groups of people, such as school lunches, because they want the food to stay longer and better. Uh, well, uh, what am I trying to say? The food to say they wanted longer. to have longer shelf shelf stability, I suppose. There you go. Or refrigerator stability, regardless, right? Yes. And the dyes are appealing to children, so they put dyes in there and I mean I that'd be the first thing. The red dye, the yellow dye, I mean it, it does I think it makes kids' heads turn. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Fully, absolutely. Even yeah. more than sugar. I would so much rather them be jacked up on white sugar that's not colored than than just colors, like then, you know, yeah. whatever, Doritos. So, Doritos, um, oh my gosh, that's the next one. So that's MSG. They still have MSG, which is a direct neurotoxin in Doritos and Hidden Valley Ranch. And it's mm. hidden in Hidden Valley Ranch. <laughs> Imagine that, huh? Yeah. So, but there are yeah. other forms of hidden forms of MSG because they have all these different names that you would never know. So that's always something good to research. Like yeast extract is one of them. Mm. It's very strange, you know, from that name, how did that become a hidden form of MSG? It's just the chemicals are very similar and they all spike the blood sugar. Why are these bad? Why are preservatives bad? Why are hidden forms of MSG? They spike the blood sugar extremely quickly, as Mm -hmm. quickly as those refined flowers and white things, sugars and... Mm -hmm. It's right. It's all contributes. So you, you, in general, in wellness, to lower the inflammation in the body, you want to keep the blood sugar stable. Right. Right. Yeah. And then awesome. you know, it's always oh, worth. You know, people ask all the time the question: Should we go gluten free, dairy free, and maybe even gluten free, dairy free, soy free? Sometimes corn mm-hmm. free. And even more extreme would be without eggs. And I, I, I do feel like. First of all, take out all the chemicals, see how the kid does. And then if you're willing to do it, even if it's just to see a difference in behavior for a couple weeks, to go gluten-free, dairy-free, and then non-genetically modified soy, corn type derivatives. Right, right, right. All right. So this is a question I get a lot too. How can I tell if my my child is just hyper and not necessarily... You know, for example, there are, I have boys that live with me that do not have ADHD, but I probably could get them on that little two page thing. I probably could get a couple of them diagnosed if I wanted to, because they, they might have trouble sitting still reading a textbook for two or three hours. That's not how, like they're used to going all the time. They don't necessarily have the the struggles that, that you mentioned as far as those five things to look for. So um, I think sometimes, especially in school environments, um, because it can be difficult for teachers and bless them, they have a very hard job. And this is not a knock on teachers, but there can be a push to for a child who is hyper and maybe just has trouble focusing on, you know, a sitting and reading for hours at a time to have that to push to get them diagnosed with something. 
how how do you tell the difference between a child that is just literally super energetic and one that needs a further intervention? It really depends on like one thing we already said is that it's in multiple areas of life. It's every day. But then you look into, is it impacting others in a negative way when they're not meaning to impact others in a negative mm-hmm. way? You know, the, gotcha. child, the child usually knows that they want help. They might not say that they want help, but they know that, you know. Mm-hmm. And if they're unable, they're just unable to control themselves. Yeah. Even, yeah. even you know, in a situation where, it, you know, it leads to behavior problems, of course, or a situation where they're even excited about the situation. You know, mm-hmm. they want to be present and, and yet they still have those issues. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about medication because that is something that, of course, is very difficult for parents to decide whether to give their kid medication or try more natural interventions first. So um, will you just touch on briefly with these medications that are given for ADHD, what do they generally do in the brain? The... Well, there's, you know, we know they're stimulants, right? Mm-hmm. So they stimulate brain activity by lowering the physical body's activity, which is where you kind of get that because you that you hear about the stimulant zone out the children. You've heard that before. Right. Absolutely. Can, I've seen it happen. They can get <laughs> in the zone or they yeah. can get in the zone too much. And that's mm-hmm. there. So in the body and in the brain, there's con- with ADHD, there's constant chatter. There's you can think of it. They're stimulating all different areas that don't need to be stimulated and not the frontal lobe that does need to be stimulated. Mm-hmm. So you, if, if you took a live active picture of the brain of a child with ADHD and watch them as they're trying to complete a test. They have a very hard time engaging the frontal lobe to the level of one without ADHD. Mm-hmm. So the, Go ahead. that stimulant allows them to get to that pathway. Mm-hmm. But, it, but of course, with that comes a, a strong medication that can have a lot of side effects. Well, let's talk about those. So what what are the, some of the the most common side effects or drawbacks from these medications as far as like long term use in particular because generally if they're used they are used long term well adhd ironically has all different types to it like you can have an anxiety based adhd a lower mood based more obsessive type adhd you know you can have these other common um, characteristics and Mm -hmm. so for the kids who are more anxiety based worriers fear based and if anxiety is not addressed and you put them on a stimulant and that's that's a mess like you you know right away there's just meltdowns right that makes sense Mm -hmm. and kids who have uh, dopamine their dopamine is low if if they go on a stimulant with low dopamine before you support the dopamine pathway, often it'll help very temporarily. And then they will be, be at the end of the day, 
a, an extreme change. Mm-hmm. It could be um, behavior change. It could be exhaustion. And then overall, they do lower the appetite in almost everyone, which can have kids lose weight and lower their growth potential. Mm-hmm. And they interrupt sleep. That's tough. Mm-hmm. They interrupt the sleep. And one of the main treatments, two of the main essential treatments that I never overlook when it comes to ADHD is one, regulate the sleep, get some mm-hmm. good, deep sleep. And then two is, um, oh, I forgot the second one. Regulate uh, well- the sleep and exercise oh gosh it's so important (laughs) yeah so if there's lower blood flow to the frontal region of the brain then you need to increase the circulation and what does that is exercise so if the kid exercises just a little bit before they're going to go into their school day and maybe takes breaks and does some quick little something something Mm -hmm. fun to get their blood flow moving that Mm -hmm. that's like instantly better than a stimulant right that's what we need to do in school everybody does 50 jumping jacks before they sit down for a test right yeah (laughs) Yeah. I love it I think that would be good for me too in fact and I don't struggle with this so um let's talk about you know okay we talked about medications talked about some of the side effects of course it depends on the child once again why it's important to figure out the root causes and what we're actually dealing with um as far as from a supplemental standpoint, um, what are some of the supplements or more natural interventions that, that you use? I know we talked about gut health, but how do you sort of accomplish that from a more natural standpoint for parents that do wish to avoid medication but need help with symptoms? Well, very commonly they have vitamin deficiencies. So we always check vitamin levels, namely the most common ones are, um, we check ferritin to look for iron stores and vitamin D and magnesium and zinc. And those mm-hmm. often can be very low and they're not in our food as much as they used to be. So, right. So Got to love that depleted soil, even in your <laughs> organics, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, kids often do need some good vitamin supplements. They, it's true, mm-hmm. but we can check those and look, and then um, that alone can be extremely helpful. Check the neurotransmitters that we talked about. And if we look at the gut and we look at how it's off balance, if there are bad bacteria in there, then we can give some awesome antimicrobial like herbs that will help balance the, the bacteria. And if the yeast is overgrown, yeast is interesting because it's natural inside of our gut. But if there's a lot of yeast, then they love carbs and it's, it's, they crave these carbs and sugars and then we're constantly feeding them and it just is a spiral down. Right. That's such a good point. Yeah. So things I would treat with often, I would say you always start with the minerals and, and healthy fats, like healthy fats for the brain, which you can get in your food. So Mm -hmm. I always say if you want to, because the brain's made up of 70% fat. So we have to coat these neurons and coat the brain with the healthy fats and mm-hmm. omegas are proven in multiple studies to help attention. So that's the EPA DHA fish oil that you've heard about, but you can get it in a vegetarian form if you don't want to do fish oil and those do help attention and it's proven in multiple studies and, mm-hmm. 
And then there, you know, there's some key supplements that do really help. And one is phosphatidylserine. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I haven't. Tell us about that. Phosphatidylserine and phosphatidylcholine are like the phospholipids that also aid in the health of the neuron. They actually help the gut as well. Mm. And they're proven to help with ADHD, which is super cool. Awesome. I want to touch on um, one of the products that we make at Raise Them Well, the Mag Focus. It's the magnesium with the um, the B6, which is well researched that in that, that high amount of B6 combined with the magnesium seems to help kids specifically when we're talking about focus, not necessarily with all of the rest of this, the research is pretty phenomenal. And we have a lot of parents that really love that supplement for their kids. So, um, do you combine the two of those? Go ahead. Yes. Yes. I would say, um, most people are deficient in magnesium. And mm-hmm. it's a tough one because I would say when you test it in the bloodstream, it doesn't always show that there's a deficiency. You can mm-hmm. go more by the fact that if you give magnesium and they improve, you definitely know there's a deficiency. Right. And the one thing I always tell people too, um, magnesium is so safe that it's hard to overdo. And usually the worst thing that you're going to see is maybe loose stools and perhaps a sleepy child if they get a little too much, but it's very, very safe um, in, in trying different forms as well. So like, for example, we use for sleep, which you mentioned, we love the, the topical products, especially for kids and their very pliable skin. It can really help them to calm down and get a good night's sleep. And then, you know, when, when it comes to the, the focus supplement, that's more of a, like a chewable digestible and a completely different form of magnesium, which I think, aren't there seven? Is that right? Seven different forms of magnesium. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and they all do different things and they're all important, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's important to sometimes, first of all, don't ever buy the cheapest thing because it's usually not going to be the most absorbable. And, um, you know, sometimes we've got to experiment a little bit with what works best, especially for the, the ailment or symptom that we're trying to address, but rubbing that balm or oil on before bed can be really helpful to help kids relax. Um, I find in my own household anyway. Yeah. And as you know, there's a restless component to ADHD. So you want Absolutely. to relax. I, I completely agree. Magnesium yeah. glycinate is proven to support GABA. So if a kid is low in GABA, which most of these kids are, by the way, mm-hmm. so that form helps Yeah, as well. So like you're saying, magnesium, it's, it's a precious mineral. It does and, and it's- for the body. I find that, like you said, almost everyone is deficient, kids included, if not more so, because not only is our soil depleted of minerals, but also they're generally not eating as much mineral rich food unless we're being really, um, really diligent about that. And so giving our kids magnesium in one way or the other can be so incredibly helpful for so many things growing pains, anxiety, ADHD, sleep, you know, it's just, it runs the gamut. And so like, I'm like, yes, every single kid needs to be taking magnesium somehow. So, um, but that's just kind of always been my thing. Obviously we make all kinds of magnesium products, but, um, as we, 
in our last couple of minutes, um, as we mentioned at the beginning, we want to leave some parents that might feel overwhelmed with what do I even do with some, you know, some just practical specific tips. So what would you say, you know, what are some really simple, easier to implement um, practices or supplements or whatever that you might suggest that parents that feel that they're struggling with ADHD might be able to implement? So practical lifestyle is look around and try to clean up everything from the chemicals that we talked about. Sometimes just taking things away is all they need and they don't Mm -hmm. have to add too many things. Um, I always like to work hand in hand with other therapists. Like if there are sensory issues, which is most commonly there, um, Mm -hmm. then occupational therapists who specialize, specialize in those sensory issues or a psychologist so that they can, maybe there are stressors that we're unaware of and they need someone to talk to about it. And you Mm -hmm. can do all types of neurofeedback is wonderful. So that just gets the brain to use all different areas of the brain, Mm -hmm. which is is obviously a benefit to everyone. And then some sort of mindful practice where there's like a downtime where they're not using their brain. Yeah, so the brain is overstimulated in all various Mm -hmm. aspects. So just letting it stop for a little bit obviously it won't stop completely but just to rest so five minutes a day i mean it makes a really big difference where their brain is doing something that is a relaxing way of not thinking like breathing or um, petting a dog under a tree without electronics it could be Mm -hmm. anything Um, and there are all types of mindful practices Uh, One of my colleagues, Michelle Bailey, she was at Duke Integrated Medicine. She wrote a little book about um, mindful practices for children, which is awesome. It's very simplified. And then you look into maybe adding back some of the nutrients. We talked about this, that they're lacking, which is often magnesium and iron and vitamin D and the healthy fats for the brain, which are EPA and DHEA. And then sometimes they need some detoxing. So that would be with like greens and reds power powders. Um, there are some super greens out there that work really well, like chlorella, another compound that we often overutilize and don't have enough of naturally in our body because of the toxins around us is glutathione. And mm-hmm. I find in a roundabout way that helps all inflammatory illnesses. Yes. glutathione. Oh yeah. It's amazing. And so Forafanes, that's the stuff that comes from broccoli. Mm. Eat more broccoli. <laughs> Eat more broccoli for sure. And and maybe too, like some of these lifestyle things we were talking about. So um, we didn't touch on this a lot, but obviously a lot of technology, devices, video games, we know from research that those actually um, overstimulate the brain in all ch- kids. So would you argue that that's something that we need to limit or avoid for kids that are struggling with ADHD? Yes. Hands down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's around us too much. And um, it's, it's so simple to see a correlation. If you do limit it, like it say you don't use it during the week and maybe do 30 minutes to an hour on the weekends for a couple weeks, do a little chart of all of the symptoms associated with ADHD and, it, it becomes obvious pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. 
And, yeah. and it's hard to limit screens because a lot of kids really are on screens at school now. And yeah. If they have screens for play too, it, it just starts to creep a lot every direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I understand the difficulty involved, but also it is one of the first things that helps. Yeah. And I mean, I, it's summer now. Like, I mean, I tell people all the time, we do very little technology at our house and I'm not saying that to brag, but my kids are incredibly creative. They're all boys, but they're outside. They're making traps. They're making bow and arrows out of things. They're making, I mean, they are so creative. They made fishing poles last night and went to the pond and actually caught fish like they caught fish with their homemade fishing poles so they caught bugs to like put on the hooks I mean you know so like we can still do the things that we all did as kids and it's okay even if that's not what everybody else is doing so you know making the decisions that are right for your family and your kids um are 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 great and then that I would also we, we talked about dyes and sugars and processed foods and MSG and preservatives earlier, you know, I know it can get really overwhelming reading all the labels and it can get very expensive too. So, um, you know, for us, I, when we're going to eat like baked things or something like that, I use mom fuel and really simple ingredients here and make them make my, make them myself for the most part. So, um, it's a lot less expensive and it's not that tedious in the long run. So, Oh, yeah, I, I know. Learning, it's a learning curve to figure yeah. out how to do a clean diet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But once you have like a couple tools under your belt that you know the family will embrace, then it's just so much easier. Like you, yeah. your baked goods, because then, then they're available yeah. when the kids are hungry. Right. And, and I mean, I do think that they're, they're embracing moderation in this. Of, of course, when we get to a certain place where we can do that is important too. Like, I don't, necessarily ban things that my kids eat ever, except for those that have sensitivities that really need to, um, but instead try to help them notice and realize how they feel. And also to, you know, pick and choose. You don't have to have the donuts and the candy bar and the pizza and the this, you know, picking and choosing, even just becoming more moderate can be so helpful in teaching our kids how to eat and make those choices and understand how different foods make their bodies and their brains feel so that they can make those choices themselves, especially as they get older, rather than us just prohibiting everything all the time. So that's another approach that I like to try to take. So anyway, well, Nicole can backfire, right? Oh, absolutely. I do want to say really quickly what I haven't (laughs) said at all is supporting mitochondrial health is critical. Mm. Like crucial, the mitochondria people always know as the energy powerhouses in the cell, and they really are. They make our energy. Mm-hmm. And if your physical body and brain are lacking energy and the mitochondrial not supported, then you're obviously going to have all types of symptoms of focus and inattention. Right. Yeah. So yeah. there are mitochondrial supports like acetyl L-carnitine is a really big one and CoQ10 and there are combo products that work really well. So that's another thing that can be done. I think a lot of these have to be geared towards the individual. So like if someone's low in GABA, you need to support GABA with things like a GABA supplement or L-theanine or magnesium glycinate. Right. But if someone is low in serotonin, then they need something completely different. Like maybe a, a 
one gram of lithium orotate or 5-HTP, but you don't want to support serotonin if you don't need it. Right, right. As with most things, it's we, we are as different on the inside as we are on the outside, and we have to really focus on the individual child in this case, too. So, Nicole, we always appreciate your expertise. Thank you so much for your time and sharing. Um, I encourage you to follow Nicole and the work that she does. And definitely, if you live in our area around North Carolina, come and be her patient. She is wonderful and so great with kids. So thank you again. And I will look forward to catching up with you next time. Okay. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nicole. Bye-bye.